Like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. We'll be looking at the parable of the sower and the seed. The sower and the seed. Now, a couple Sundays ago, we started this uh, series, if you want to call it that, uh, the message of the Savior. And we said that for the next uh, several weeks, as long as the Lord led us in this direction, we were going to be looking at the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ while He was here on earth and predominantly looking at the parables or the uh, word illustrations that He used. Uh, you know, some have said about our Savior that during his time on earth uh, he was uh, a storyteller. And you know what? Although he was much more than simply a storyteller, uh, Jesus did have uh, a way uh, of connecting spiritual truths uh, with practical everyday things uh, that helped us relate uh, to the message of the Word of God. And as we go through the Gospels and we look at the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will find over and over over and over how he took what sadly man has tried to confuse and Jesus took it and he simplified it by comparing it to everyday situations. And so as the Lord directs, we're going to be looking at the message of the Savior and the things that he has taught now, although there are many of these word pictures given throughout the Word of God, uh, uh, there are only about 30-some that are uh, referred to as parables in the Word of God. And so if you were to start reading at the beginning of the New Testament, if you were to start in Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 1, and you were to begin reading through the book of Matthew or through the New Testament, you would read all the way to chapter number 13 where we will be at today before you would encounter the word parable. But when you reach chapter number 13, everything seems to change. For here in chapter number 13, we don't find just one parable, but here in chapter number 13 of Matthew, we find seven parables that God gives or Christ give in relation to the kingdom. And it's interesting to note that these first parables that we find here in Matthew are written about the kingdom. When you study the four gospels, if you look at the four gospels, many time if you just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will sometimes think, wow, this is just the same story over and over and over again. But whenever you take time to look at them in more detail, you will find that each one has a different emphasis. And the emphasis of Matthew is on the king and his kingdom. That is the emphasis of the book of Matthew. Uh, the book of Mark uh, is the son of man. And, and we could go on and each one has a different emphasis. But Matthew is emphasizing the king and his kingdom. It's been said that the first four chapters of Matthew introduce the king. If you want to jot this down and look at it this afternoon, you'll find this very interesting. The first four chapters of Matthew introduce the king and tell you who the king is. Then we see chapters 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. They give the doctrine of the king. And then chapters 8 through 12 portray the miracles or the power of the kingdom. And then in chapter number 13, we find the parables or we could say a description of the kingdom. And so as we come reading through the book of Matthew and we come to chapter number 13, the groundwork has been laid to now describe this kingdom. 
Now when we look at Matthew chapter number 13, we will see that the seven parables in this chapter are all linked together. They are all tied together, but they describe different elements of the theme that they are covering. As we study these parables over the next few weeks, we will see that while some stand alone, such as the parable of the sower, others are paired together and just give two different applications to present the same truth. And so as we go through these parables over the next few weeks, we will see this. But the dominant parable uh, in chapter number 13 is the parable we're going to look at this morning, and that is the parable of the sower. It is the first parable in the passage. It is the longest parable in the passage. It sets the theme upon which all other parables in this passage are built. And also, it is a parable that comes with an explanation. As we go through the Word of God looking at these parables, we will see that some Christ explained further to the disciples later, some He did not. That the parable of the sower comes with an explanation, and that explanation sets the theme for the chapter. So we're going to be looking in Matthew 13. We're going to read verse 1 down through verse number 9, and then we will jump over to verse number 18. The Bible says in Matthew, or excuse me, we'll be starting in verse number 3. In Matthew 13, starting in verse number 3, the Bible says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now if you would go with me to verse number 18, and here we find the explanation of the parable. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended." He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth food, fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for being able to be here in your house. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the songs of worship. We thank you, Lord, for those, uh, Lord, that we have sang, the songs we have sang. We thank you for those that have sang songs to us. Father, we thank you for being able to worship together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Uh, Lord, and the truths that you have revealed, uh, Father, about the gospel in this passage of Scripture. Now, Lord, as we look at this 
passage. I pray, dear Lord, that you will use it to speak to our hearts. Uh, I pray, dear Lord, that it will clarify any misunderstandings we may have. I pray that it will answer any questions that we may have. I pray, dear Lord, that it will challenge the hearts of the Christians, uh, Lord, to sow the seed. And Lord, if there be those here this morning that have never accepted you as Savior, that Lord, it will convict uh, the heart of the sinner and show them their need to accept you as Savior, Father, I pray. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity of being in your house. Bless us now this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. As we look at this passage, as you can see by the way that we read, we see a clear division. Verse 1 through 9 is the parable. And as I said a little while ago, you can find this parable also in the book of Mark and also in the book of Luke. We see the parable that God gave, the word picture that he gave of a sower sowing seed on the ground. But we also see in verse 18 to 23 the Lord explaining what he meant by this parable. So as we look at this parable, I want to show you several things about it. But as we begin to look at it, there are three main components that we will see here in this parable. First, we see the sower. The first thing that we see as we look at this parable is the sower. This is the one who goes out and sows the seed. This is the one that throws the seed out. That is, seed may have opportunity to take root. It may have opportunity to grow. And we see that this is representative of you and I who share the gospel. We have met Christ and now we go and we share Christ. In Matthew 13, there in verse number 3, it says, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. So the main character that we see here in this parable is the one that is sowing the seed. He is spreading the word of God. The second thing that we see, the second component of this parable that we see is the seed. First we see the sower, then we see the seed. It says in verse 18 and verse 19, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. So first we see the sower, but second we see the seed, and the seed is the hope of the gospel. That is what the sower is spreading. That is what he is doing. He is telling the lost world that there is hope that can be found in a Savior. And then the third component of this parable, which takes up the remainder of the message this morning, is the soul. So first we see the sower, second we see the seed, but third we see the soul. And this is those, or we could say the heart of those who hear the gospel. The soul in the story is representative of the heart of the people that hear the truth of the gospel. In verse number 19, he said, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. And then the remainder of this story focuses on how they respond when they hear the gospel and what their response tells us about each one of them. As we look into this, we see that there are four types of soul, four types of soul that God speaks of that are representative of four types of hearts. So we see when we look at this, we see that he mentions the wayside. He mentions the stone places. He mentions the soil among thorns. He mentions the good ground. Four types of soil is illustrated and each of these illustrate the heart of men and how men receive the word of God. 
as we look at the Savior's description of these different souls, we see many different things. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we see in this passage of Scripture a message of salvation. We find in this passage of Scripture a picture of how the gospel is received. And truly, by understanding this passage, it helps us to understand why folks respond differently to the gospel. We see here in this passage of Scripture an illustration of both rejection of the gospel and reception of the gospel and how that affects the individual. Here in this passage of Scripture, we find a clarification of true and false conversion among those who have heard the gospel. So there is much that can be seen in this passage of Scripture. So let's take a few moments this morning to look at the message of the soul. The first example that we are given as we look at this thing of the soul is that of the wayside. It says in Matthew 13, verse number 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. So Jesus is here giving a, a clear picture of what happens in a real-life situation when someone goes out with seed to sow the seed. And he begins to sow the seed, and as he throws the seed out, some of it perhaps will fall on hard packed earth. He refers to it as the wayside. This is the path where people would walk and by their walking the path has become packed down and when he throws the seed the seed lands on the hard earth. It's not able to sink in and Jesus said, you know, if you have planted seed, you have seen this happen. The birds come and eat the seed up off of the hard ground. This is the picture that Jesus is giving. Then in verse number 19 when he gives the explanation, he says here is what I'm comparing that to. Here is the comparison I want you to make. Here's what I want you to see. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. So this is someone that has heard the truth of the gospel and understandeth it not. Then cometh the wicked one. This would be referencing Satan. Here comes the wicked one, Satan, and he catches away that which was sown in the heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. Whenever we look at the wayside, we see that the wayside represents the hard heart. Just as the path has been packed down by the feet of men, the heart of man has been hardened by sin. There is nothing that hardens the heart of men like sin. If men have hard hearts, their hearts are hard because of sin. This illustration is representing someone whose heart has been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and whenever the Word of God is sown, they are not receptive to the Word of God. It is not able to take root in their heart and Satan snatches it away before it's able to have any effect on their life because their heart has been hardened by sin. They have allowed sin to come in and to harden their heart. Sin in and of itself is rebellion 
against God. If we were to define sin, all of sin, in a single definition, we would define sin as being rebellion against God. Sin is when I choose or to desire to do something other than what God has said is best and right for me. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they had everything they could possibly desire. They had everything they could possibly want. They had everything that they could possibly need. And God said, the only requirement, the only rule, the only law that I'm putting upon you is don't touch one tree. This was God stating His authority. This was God demonstrating His right as our Creator to dictate what we can and cannot do. God said, because of my authority, I have said that you cannot touch that tree. I also will let you know that if you do touch the tree, there will be strong repercussions. Adam and Eve then said they justified it. They thought it through. They made all sorts of applications. They came up with all kinds of reasons. They listened to the devil and they said it will be okay to go against the authority of God and eat of the fruit. They rebelled against God. And in order to rebel against God, they had to harden their heart to His authority. All sin is man hardened hardening his heart against the authority of God and acting in rebellion to what God has said. Whenever a child is being raised, you tell the child no. Sometimes they learn fairly quickly when you first start out. But after a little bit, they decide that they don't care what you said. They really do want that fragile piece of whatever it is on your coffee table, and they're going after it anyway. And they hardened their heart against you as a parent. A little bit of parenting advice being slid in right here, okay? You can take it off of here. They hardened their heart against you as a parent. You with your authority said, don't touch that. They hardened their heart towards you and say, I'm going to touch it anyway. They go up and they touch it. Now, at that moment, you as a parent, this is where I'm sliding into parenting advice, you as a parent have a choice. You can either illustrate to them that you do have the authority to tell them no. And you can make sure that their heart stays soft and receptive to you as their authority or you can let them go ahead and do it and you can yell or carry on however you want to and fuss and they will just continue to harden their heart against you and whenever they get about this big, you'll realize you have no control over them whatsoever because you have allowed them to walk all over your authority and now they no longer listen to you. That's how this works. Well, in the same situation, God sets boundaries on people. These apply to everyone. And whenever we choose to violate the law of God, in order to violate the law of God, I am rebelling against His authority. And the more I rebel against His authority and think 
that I'm getting away with it. Judgment is coming. You will not get away with it. You will spend eternity in hell for living a life of rebellion to God. But I think I'm getting away with it. My heart will continue to get hard against God. I will continue to live for myself, pursue my selfish desires, feed my flesh, and I will be taking care of myself, and I'll be continually getting harder and harder and harder against God. Then along comes the gospel. All glorious gospel. Glorious gospel that tells us how a sinner can become a saint. Glorious gospel that tells us how we don't have to spend eternity in hell. Glorious gospel that tells us that our sin debt has been paid and along comes the gospel and the gospel is presented to this person that has lived their life continually rebelling against God, pursuing sin and they recognize that in order for me to accept the gift of the gospel, I've got to be willing to give up my rebellion and their hearts have become hard by constant rebellion and they reject the truth of the gospel. This is the hard heart. This is those that have lived a life of rebellion against God. And and let me just put this in here. This is why it is so, so important that we protect our hearts and the hearts of our children. You see, the devil knows that's how this works. He understands how this works. And so from the moment of inception into this world, the devil begins feeding wickedness into the hearts and minds of individuals as quickly and as effectively and in every method that he can find possible. And he tries to get children and adults, he tries to get everyone to fall in love with the things of the world. On the television, on the social media, on the billboards, on the magazine racks, everywhere that he can put it, in the comic books, in the cartoons, everywhere. He is feeding, 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 feeding. He is feeding his subtle message so that people will begin to fall in love with it. So that when they get a little older and someone presents the gospel to them, they have to decide. Am I going to give up what I've fallen in love with or am I going to rebel against the love of an almighty God? I'm trying not to run too many rabbits right here, but I'm telling you, we are responsible to protect our hearts and we are responsible to protect the hearts of our children. And we need to be very, very, very careful what we're letting the devil pump into our hearts and our minds. You might think it's harmless, but he is infiltrating the hearts and minds of children with his philosophy so that when the philosophy of the Word of God is presented, it's not easy for them to make a choice. Their heart has been hardened by sin. This is the hard heart. This is the hard heart. Romans 1, 
gives a clear description of this path of rejecting God. And boy, you can look in Romans 1 and you can see how this unfolds. We'll just look at verse 21 and 22 of Romans chapter number 1. It says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is what happens when the heart has become hard. It's simply this. People love sin. You know what's wrong with America? People love sin. You know what's wrong with our marriages? People love sin. You know why young people are leaving the church by the hundreds? People love sin. You know why we can't have any influence in our community? People love sin. It is the problem. We try to blame it on everything else, but we can just put it simple to you this morning. Sin is the problem. And as long as people are in love, with their sin, the gospel is not going to be as effective as it could be. People love sin. And this love for sin hardens their hearts against the things of God. And the result is like seed laying on a wayside that Satan snatches up before it can have an effect. The second example we're given is that of seed which falls into stony places. That which falls into stony places. In verse number 5 of Matthew 13, 5 and 6, we see the picture. It says, Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Here Christ gives us the practical picture. You're throwing the seed and some of the seed lands among the stones and there among the stones is a little bit of soil and the seed takes root and it sprouts up quickly but it has no root and as soon as the sun comes out it scorches it, it cannot survive, there's no root, it wilts, it withers away and it dies. We go to verses 20 and 21 and Jesus gives us the explanation of what he's talking about here. He said, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. If the first example illustrates the hard heart, this example illustrates the shallow heart. The seed finds soil, but the soil is shallow and has no depth. Therefore the seed cannot become rooted in the heart. Just as there are many who have sinned hardened hearts, there are many who have shallow hearts. You and I have, in, have met these folks. We've seen these folks. There may even be some of those folks here today. They're attracted to the gospel. But they're attracted not because they want to change who they are. 
They're attracted not because they want God to do a work in their life. No, they're attracted to the excitement. Uh, They enjoy the social aspect. Uh, They feel good about themselves uh, and the things that they do there at the church. Uh, They feel good because of their involvement. Uh, uh, Sometimes these folks will even make a profession. Uh, They'll even go through with believers' baptism. Uh, uh, They they like the atmosphere. Uh, They like what's going on. They like everything that's happening. Uh, And so they're like, sure, I'll be a part of that. Uh, I'll buy into that. You tell them the gospel and they're like, sure, that sounds good to me. Uh, And they buy into it. They come to the church. uh, They start getting active. uh, But as soon as the heat comes up, they're gone. You, you have seen this. There's, there is no depth. Their, their interest and their involvement is superficial. They're not seeking a life change. They're not willing to surrender their life to Christ. They are only involved for the thrill and the emotional positivity that their involvement brings. But their true situation is revealed when trouble comes. It could be the loss of a job. It could be a failed romance. It could be a physical ailment. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be a change in lifestyle that makes their participation inconvenient. If we could bring this right home where we can all relate, I think COVID purged a lot of these people out. You say, boy, it's close to home, Pastor John. I think it's right. Coronavirus came along and church started getting inconvenient and a lot of these shallow-hearted people... We ain't seen them since. There was a change that made their participation inconvenient and there was never any depth and they weren't willing to stick it out and the sun come up and it scorched them. Shallow hearts. John tells us in 1 John 2 and verse number 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Let me just say it this way. Just because you attend church and you know how to speak the lingo does not make you a Christian. There's got to be some depth of heart. The third example that we're given is that of the seed which fell among thorns. The seed that fell among thorns. In verse number 7, Jesus gives us the picture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. When we were in Grantsville, West Virginia, we had multi-floor roses. I'm sure y'all have encountered them here, but they were really bad there in Grantsville. They kind of owned the town. Multiflora roses were everywhere. And they were all around the church that Dad pastored, even growing right up against the church, behind the church. And so when Dad took the church, it was his mission that we were going to get rid of the multiflora roses. And he and I went out there with axes and brush axes, and and we worked and we cut them back and cut them back, and there was a a little stream down off the side. We cut them all the way back to the stream, got them away, we cleaned it up, we mowed the grass, it looked pretty. You know what? Next summer, the multiflora roses was against the building again. We cut them down, we worked, we worked, uh, we got them things all the way back to the stream, they came right back. 
We put uh, poison on them, trying to kill them. They came right back. They owned the property. Finally, we were pouring a front porch uh, on the church, uh, and we had some concrete left over, so we went around back, and we poured a pad over top of the Monte floor roses. They never came back after that. We stopped them rascals. Uh, but thorns uh, can be relentless. Uh, them thorns can be hard to stop. Uh, they can be relentless. And Jesus says here, when you're sowing seed uh, in an actual practical way, uh, if the seed falls among thorns, and you as gardeners know this, if the seed falls among thorns, it's not going to do well because the thorns are going to drink up all the nutrients and they're going to choke out the good seed and it's never going to come to fruition. Jesus explains this in verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. If the first illustration is the hard heart, the second illustration is the shallow heart, this represents the strangled heart. This is a heart to, that is not necessarily opposed to the gospel, but it is a heart that cannot receive the gospel because it is strangled by the things of this world. The Lord uses thorns to represent how the things of this world can overtake the heart and make it impossible for the seed to be fruitful in the life of those that hear it. This is a very relevant application. We do not have to look very far to see examples of this. We could probably look at folks that we know personally, possibly even dear friends, that have allowed the things of the world to strangle them to the point that they have nothing to do with the things of God. In Matthew 19, we read the story of a rich young man who was interested in the gospel. He went to Jesus and wanted to know how he could receive the truth of the gospel. But he refused the offer because of his love for possessions. Matthew 19, we read, in verse number 22, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus went on in verse 23 and 24 to say this, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Possessions strangle the word. This is the application. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with possessions and there are some who God has blessed with material things. But there is no doubt that a love for possessions... You know, many people misquote the verse that says the love of money is the root of all evil. And many people will misquote and say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The love of money is the root of all evil. This is exactly what Jesus is saying right here. The love of possessions will strangle the ability of the Word to take root in the heart. They have heard the Word, but the cares of this world, the things that they deem important in this life, because of those things, they reject the gospel. And the gospel is never able to make a difference in their life. However, there is in this parable a fourth illustration. 
And this is the illustration that the whole story has been working towards. This is the one that we've been building to uh, the whole way through. While some of the seed fell on the wayside, some of the seed fell on stony ground, uh, some of the seed fell among the thorns, we find that there was also seed that fell upon good, open, ready, and receptive ground. This uh, is uh, the open heart. We see in verse number 8 that Jesus gives the illustration but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Jesus said that the seed in a practical application that falls on good, receptive, ready ground, it will take root, it will bear fruit. But we do know that not all of it will bear the same amount of fruit, but it will all bear fruit. Then he gives the explanation in verse number 23. He that receives seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is where Jesus has been heading all along. This is the birth and development of the kingdom. This is talking about those who hear, receive, and apply the Word of God to their life. This is those who the Word of God takes root and makes a difference. This is those who once the root is settled in their heart, it doesn't matter what comes up. It doesn't matter what trials they face. It doesn't matter what opportunities they are given in this life. The Word of God continues to prevail. These are the people who from the moment of salvation until they pass into glory, although they may have had ups and downs, their testimony has always been that they were a child of God. This is a person who has brought forth fruit. Now some 30, some 60, and some 100. Some will bring forth more than others, but they have all produced fruit, evident of the fact that God is living on the inside of them. This is those that have received the gospel. There are several things we can see here concerning salvation. We can see that as we share the gospel, there will always be those who reject it. But we also see that as we share the gospel, there will be those who receive it. I've told you this before, but it's a good illustration, so I'll tell it again. When I worked at the car lot, the manager told me, he said, statistics say that out of 10 people who go on a test drive, one of them will buy a car. Well, you know what I made my philosophy? If you come on my car lot, you're driving my car. Because out of 10 of you, one of you going to buy one. I didn't care if you was interested or not. I was just checking the numbers off. I believed the, th I believed the theory, and it did seem to work. You say, how does that apply? Oftentimes we'll be sharing the gospel, and we'll run into the thorny ground, we'll run, run into the hard heart, or we'll, we'll, we'll run into a shallow ground, and they'll come to church for a little bit, and they'll quit, and we'll get discouraged. We'll quit sharing the gospel. But you know what? We've got to keep sharing and keep sharing and keep sharing because just as there will always be those who reject it, there will be those who receive it. So we've got to keep sharing. Not only do we see that there will be both those, those who receive and reject, we can also see in this parable that conversion is evidenced by fruit. 
Now, there will be some who would disagree with me on this, but let me explain it to you. The Bible says some 30, some 60, and some 100. Jesus made no bones about it that everyone who receives the seed will bear fruit. Now, I believe that this fruit can be evidenced in one of two ways. I believe the Bible teaches this. We don't have time to get into all of it. But I believe this fruit can be evidenced in two ways. One, it will be evidenced by growth as a Christian. I believe that the fruits of the Spirit will begin to become evident in the life of the Christian. This is the work of sanctification. And someday maybe we'll just do a whole message on sanctification, what it is. This is the work of sanctification. This is a work that Christ begins in me at salvation and He continues in me until I go to glory. What is this work? It is getting the old man out and getting the new man in. This is getting a person that used to be hot headed to being even tempered. This is getting a person who used to tell lies to being honest and truthful and dependable. This is the work of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you and making you more and more and more Christ-like every day that you live. Will you ever reach perfection? Not on this side of glory, but I guarantee you if you yield yourself to the Spirit, you allow Him to work in your heart, you will get to a point where you will be able to affect people around you because the fruit of the Spirit will be evidenced in your life. There is a new philosophy goes around that seems to do away with sanctification and seems to indicate that we can be a Christian and still live like the world. That's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible teaches that Christians are to become like Christ. That is the work of sanctification. That is the evidence. That is the fruit that is seen when you accept the Savior. But I believe fruit can be evidenced in another way. The Bible teaches us that there are those who have accepted Christ who have made a mental decision that they're rebelling against Christ. You can't lose your salvation, but Christ will take you home. And if you see someone who claims to be a Christian who is living like the world and dragging the name of Jesus through the mud and doing harm to the gospel and there is no evidence of God's correction in his life, mark it down, he was never born again. The fruit will be evidenced one of two ways in the life of every Christian. So we can see that there'll be some who receive and some who reject. We can see that fruit will be evidenced. But the main point of this example is that the open heart is the heart that will receive the benefit of the gospel and find true salvation. Now when we look at these examples, it can perhaps cause someone to think of themselves and say, is there any hope for me? I'm hard-hearted. Is there any hope for me? Maybe they can look at themselves and say, the cares of this world have been pulling me away from the church. What does this mean about me? Let, me? let me just share something with you. Whenever Jesus made that statement about the rich, and he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved, the disciples were alarmed because this clearly meant that there was no way for rich people to ever accept the gospel. This meant that all rich people were destined for hell. And they asked Christ about it. We find it there in verse 25 and 26 of Matthew 19. It says, when his disciples heard it, 
They were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Verse 26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is like a hammer that breaketh the rock. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is able to break up the fallow ground. The Word of God is able to root out the thorns and the weeds and the cares of this life. You may feel that you cannot accept the gift that God has offered, but do not turn away because God is able to turn that hard heart into a soft heart. God is able to pull out the weeds. God is able to open your heart to the gospel. So whenever you hear the gospel, don't walk away. Allow the gospel to do a work in your heart. In Ezekiel chapter number 36, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. If you are under the sound of the gospel, if you are hearing this message this morning, the word of God can take root in your heart. The word of God can change your life if only you accept it. And let me say this, if you are concerned, oh my, I don't know, maybe I have a hard heart. That tells me that your heart's not too hard yet. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you, wanting to do a work in your life. If you would simply respond, you're just soul, but the gardener can change the soul so that it can receive the gospel. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to come to the piano. Perhaps you're here this morning as you've listened to this parable. You've begun to consider your condition. Perhaps you've got questions about your condition and you're, you're curious as to your condition. Perhaps it's made you question your own conversion and you've got questions. Perhaps the Lord has just spoke to your heart and you want to receive the gospel. Whatever the case, if the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, as Miss Debbie plays, you come to the altar.